great to see you, great to be together, great time in worship this morning, so, so cool to see the way that the Lord is moving and working in baptisms, amen, that was awesome, the two first service to this service, and uh, God is on the move in this place. Now, are you ready to get into God's word? Are you sure? <laughs> are you ready to get into God's word? Wonderful. That's great. Well, uh, this morning we are continuing in our From the Heart series, looking at four of Paul's prayers for the church. And in each of these prayers, we see something specific to be prayed for. And last week, Pastor Duane took us through Romans 15 and the need for us to have and pray for spiritual harmony. And as Pastor Roger mentioned, this morning we'll be in Ephesians 3, discussing Paul's prayer for the Ephesian believers to receive spiritual strength. And just as you guys are getting yourselves set and ready to go for that, I wanted to throw some phrases on the screen for you that you may have recognized at one point in time or another. So take a look at those. Each of these phrases that you see here are from different ad campaigns of companies in our world today that are all seeking to do, while they may be pushing different products, they're all seeking to do one thing. And that one thing is inspire us to find our inner strength to achieve what we want. They're seeking to inspire us to be our best selves, to live our best life, to face that challenge you're facing head on and with all that you have, defeat it because the power you need to do anything is within you. You can do whatever you put your mind to, this world says. If you just believe in yourself, dig deep, bear down, and make it happen. But make sure you use our products, those companies say, because it's way easier to do all of that if you're wearing Nike shoes, right? That's what they're saying. And before you run home and throw out all of your Nike equipment or say that I'm crazy for taking this way too seriously, what I want you to see here and what we should see as followers of Jesus Christ is that marketing companies, advertisements are pushing a thought process that is already running through our culture today. We live in a world that preaches you have the strength within you to do whatever you want. But God's word tells us something different, doesn't it? In fact, in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 7, verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Here's the truth. Are you ready for it this morning? You don't have it in you. You don't have it in you. You don't have what it takes. Certainly you may be able to develop your physical spirit or physical, mental or emotional strength here in the, on this earth. And you know that those are good things. As long as we recognize the fact that God can take that all away in an instant. But my fear is that we've begun to buy into this ideology in our world today. As we approach the Lord in thinking that We have the strength in us to live a life of holiness deserving of God's blessing. And the fact of the matter is, we don't. 
Even the most seasoned of believers who have experienced many years of following Jesus fall prey to the weakness and frailty of our sinfulness. The fact of the matter is, church, we are engaged in a spiritual battle against our sinful flesh, against the sinful powers of this world, against the spiritual forces in the spiritual realms that we do not have the strength within ourselves to gain victory in. And the Apostle Paul recognized that, which is why in our passage this morning, he prays specifically that the believers in Ephesus would receive true spiritual strength. This morning, as we dive into this and we look at what it means to pursue true spiritual strength, we will see where it comes from, what it changes in us, and we see from the example of Paul that that's not something that we can achieve on our own. True strength is something we get from outside ourselves. It must be something pursued. It must be something prayed for. So this morning, my hope and prayer for each of us is that we'll take a look at our lives and ask ourselves the question, in whose strength am I living in? Let's get to God's word to Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Follow along with me as I read. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dive into this together. Father God Almighty, we thank you for this time. We come before you humbly, Lord, to recognize that we need a word from you today. God, we're all too familiar with the fact that we don't have the strength to do it on our own, and yet we are so quick to forget that. I pray, Lord, as we dive into your word, as we look into your very face, I pray that you would reveal to us different aspects of your nature that we never understood before. God, I pray this morning that you would challenge those who are here with misconceptions of you. God, I pray that you would rebuke those who are here in willful disobedience in some way. God, I pray that you would encourage those here who are beaten down by the circumstances of life, are coming in here weak and in need of spiritual strength from you, as, Father, truthfully, we all are. So do a mighty work through your word in our hearts this morning, we pray, for the glory of your name, for the fame of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we have made the distinction this morning that spiritual strength is not something that we have in ourselves, but must be something pursued. So in the pursuit of spiritual strength, see this first, I pursue it, I pray with great humility knowing who I'm talking to. 
Now, as Paul starts his prayer this morning, he begins this passage with, for this reason. Now, Paul's prayer in chapter 3 is coming on the heels of everything that he's talked about in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And it's important for us to understand, for context's sake, that the book of Ephesians is divided up really into two parts. The first part, the first three chapters, being a deep theological and doctrinal discussion of Paul in terms of what God has done for us in the redeeming work of sending Jesus Christ to this earth for us and our identity that is now found in him. The second part of the book is a practical guide, being the last three chapters, a practical guide on how believers ought to be living out their lives in light of that. But what we see here in Paul saying for this reason is that in response to all that he has just said on God's working in our lives in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, Paul is moved to prayer. And what we can't miss here is the importance of prayer that Paul elevates here in that he would be willing to stop what he is writing. He would stop his letter to the Ephesians and write out for them what he is going to the Lord for. Paul put a high importance on prayer in his life. And we see here that that prayer is done, continuing in verse 14, with great humility as Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, whether or not Paul actually bowed his knees as he wrote this is not really important. What he's really getting at here is the attitude that we must bring in prayer. To bow one's knees is a response of emotion and earnestness. It is a submissive act that is done out of great reverence to the one you're kneeling to. And in this case, Paul is kneeling before the Father, he says, a name which describes for us the loving, caring, tender-hearted nature of our God, our Heavenly Father, in that he cares deeply for those who come to him. A great picture for us of the love God has for us, but not only is he our heavenly father, but verse 16, Paul goes on to clarify that this is the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. See, when we pray, we are not just children going to our heavenly father, but we are children going to our heavenly father in whom we find our identity. When you pray, you go to the Father that all people, whether they believe in Him or not, all created beings owe their existence to. When you pray, you go to the same God, the same Heavenly Father that all believers throughout time and history have prayed to. When you go to the Father, you go to the God who is supreme ruler over all creation, which He created. Now, let me make something clear here. This is a right, a privilege for followers of Jesus Christ. Paul is not making some claim that God is the universal father over all people and that every single being is his child. This is a right reserved for those chosen children of God who are a part of his family. We need to understand who it is that we go to. We go to a heavenly father who is supreme over all things. If I could just speak personally for a moment, I feel as if this is an aspect of, and you know, there's certainly an element 
that we'll never be able to fully comprehend this part of the nature of God, but I feel as if personally I can understand this in kind of a different way than I have ever been able to in my life. Uh, My baby girl is uh, just about 12 weeks old now, and um, needless to say, she has completely got me wrapped around her finger, like absolutely. It's kind of crazy. Actually, just this week, she gave me this look. What am I supposed to do with that, right? Like, genuinely, I I feel like Emily is starting to grow concerned. My wife, Emily, is is concerned that she's going to be the one solely responsible for parenting and disciplining our child because I'm just going to be a spineless mess, right, for the entire duration of Annie's life. You could probably take that picture down. It's too distracting, right? Now, of course, I I imagine that things are going to get a little bit different once her sin nature rears its full ugly head. Veteran parents in the room, can you confirm that for me? (laughs) Don't confirm it too loud. Your kids might be in here. I'm glad that there's hope for me in that. But joking aside, to be a father has humbled me in ways that I have never been humbled before. It's revealed to me areas of my own weakness that I didn't even know existed. But in the same way, it's revealed to me the majesty and strength of my heavenly father in ways that I never considered before. It's brought new impact, and and this verse has been just rattling around in my mind even over these last 12 weeks of having Annie with us. Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says, If then... You who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you are a dad, if you aspire to be one one day, if you have a great relationship with your Father or not so much, the fact of the matter is, is that we have a perfect heavenly Father who loves us perfectly, who loves us better than any dad ever could love a child here on earth, better than I could ever hope to love my daughter. In your prayers, recognize that your heavenly father is far more willing and ready to come to you than you ever are of going to him. When we pray, we pray to a heavenly father who is perfectly loving and ready to receive the prayers of those who love and follow him, who pursue them with their lives. But we also pray to a God who is sovereign and mighty and worthy to be approached on bended knee. And Jesus himself recognized that. And just as Paul gives us an example of how to approach the Lord humbly in Ephesians 3. In Matthew 26, on the night of his betrayal, Jesus, verse 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, my, not my will, not as I will, but as you will. Truthfully, if anyone had a claim to not observe going to the Father in an attitude of humility, it would be Jesus. But as he prays, he enters into it humbly. He falls on his face before the Lord, addresses him as my Father, and then prays not as I will, but you will, Lord. When you pray, enter into it humbly. 
Understand fully and exalt passionately the power and strength of the Lord. Recognize and appreciate the the opportunity that you have to have the ear of our Heavenly Father inclined to you in prayer. When you pray, understand who you are talking to. Truthfully, this is the first step of prayer in general. And certainly it is the first step of praying to receive spiritual strength. And in it, you recognize that God is the source of true strength and not ourselves. And that's the next thing. When you pray, pray with eager anticipation, knowing where true strength comes from. And in verse 16, Paul jumps into the content of his prayer, asking the Lord that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Some key, some key things about true spiritual strength here. First, see where it comes from. It comes from the riches of God's glory. In keeping with his very nature, God gives strength according to the fact that he is infinitely glorious. And Pastor John MacArthur, in his commentary on Ephesians, illustrated this idea for us. Hopefully this brings some clarity to this perspective for us. He writes, for a millionaire to give 50 or $100 would be to give out of his wealth. But to give $25,000 would be to give according to his wealth. The greater a person's wealth the greater his gift must be to qualify for giving according to his wealth. And the incredible thing about this is if we apply that principle to God giving according to the riches of his glory is that his riches are endless. The supply of strength that we have from our infinitely radiant, great and glorious God is never ending. Prophet Habakkuk, in writing of God's presence showing up on Mount Sinai, wrote of God's glory in this way. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. The very glory of God cannot even be fully known to us. True strength comes from the infinitely perfect, infinitely majestic, infinitely glorious God who is sovereign over all. That's a truth that we can trust, and it's a power source that will never fail and never run out. And I hope that is encouraging to you. Because we've talked about it already, our strength runs out. Even just the seemingly mundane day-to-day of our lives is enough to send us directly to the couch after work. Is enough to get us to pack stuff up in the car or hop on a plane and get away from our lives for a while just so that we can have some rest. Let alone should a significant trial or difficulty come into our lives, which can beat us down, completely take us out physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I know some of you know what I'm talking about, because that's how you came into the room this morning. But 
where our strength runs out, God's is never-ending. It's inexhaustible, and it is readily available to us should we ask for it. God's strength supply never ends, and he grants it to us. But then we see here that he applies it to our lives through his Spirit. And we understand that for the followers of Jesus Christ, at the time of salvation, when you pray to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God grants you the Holy Spirit. And among a number of other things, the role of the Spirit in our lives is to aid us as we walk with the Lord. And so much more that we could talk about in terms of the role of the Spirit, but time won't allow us this morning. So if that's something that you want to study a little bit more, I'd encourage you to check out Pastor Todd's sermon series from 2013 called The Holy Spirit. And we have a link to it in the sermon notes section of hbc.info. So check that out in your own time this week. But the important thing for us to recognize here is that just as God's power supply is never ending and we can rely on it, we can also rely on the Spirit's working to manifest that strength in our lives and empower us to live out the commands and call of God in our lives. And that empowerment of the Spirit comes to us, verse 16 says, in our inner being. The empowerment of the Spirit in bringing God's strength to our lives penetrates to the very nature of who we are and gives us the power we need. See, as we, speak, as we seek true spiritual strength, we need to recognize that it comes from God, it manifests itself through the Spirit in our lives, and so when we go to the Lord in prayer for spiritual strength, we can go with eager anticipation, knowing that not only is strength available, but it's ready to be poured out on those who ask for it, as it is found in the very riches of the glory of God, which will never fail. You know, God's strength isn't like a five-hour energy shot, okay? Because you know what happens after five hours with a five-hour energy shot, right? It runs out. Okay, God's strength is not like that third, fourth, fifth, sixth cup of coffee that you have in the afternoon to keep yourself going. Okay, God's strength doesn't treat the symptoms. It gets to the core. It penetrates into our very nature, as of who we are. And that's what Paul's getting at when he prays for his readers to be strengthened in their inner being. So understanding that, here's the third thing we need to see. When I pray for spiritual strength, I need to pray with the right motives, knowing what true strength empowers. So as God promises us his unfailing strength and the Holy Spirit is the agent by which we receive that strength to empower us, there are four things that Paul talks about in his prayer that the strength given to us by God through the Holy Spirit empowers in us. We're going to go through them together. First, true strength empowers a deeper faith. A deeper faith. And this comes simply out of what Paul says in verse 17 when he asks, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we know that salvation from the power of sin and death comes through faith. And we know that at the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your very sinful nature goes on to him on the cross and dies with him. So that's why Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Okay, now, but we know that that faith that we have in Jesus Christ doesn't stop there. 
It's a faith that needs to be growing in depth and completely changing our lives. And therefore, this verse continues. Paul writes, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The faith that we have in the sacrifice and glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, must be a faith that is growing deeper and deeper. And the way that we grow deeper in our faith is by living it out, which God gives us the strength to do. The way we grow deeper in our faith is by enduring the testing of our faith that God allows in our lives, which he gives us the strength to do. When the Lord allows the ridicule from friends and loved ones. When he allows opposition in your life or should the day come that he allows persecution in your life. When God allows the health issues or the loss of a loved one. When God allows the temptation to sin to come into your life, we need to recognize the fact that this is a faith testing and by that a faith deepening moment that the Lord gives us strength to endure. True strength is available to you for this and is available to do the work of empowering you to a deeper faith than ever before. And that deepening of our faith is one that transforms our lives and God's true strength empowers us to do that. Secondly, see that true strength empowers a greater love. A greater love. And Paul prays that the Ephesian believers in the second half of verse 17 would have their lives rooted and grounded in love. Now, like a tree with its roots dug deep, or a building with its foundation firmly set, so should our lives have our roots dug deep and our foundation firmly set on love. We should be in a continuous state of growing more in love first with God, with what he, who He is and what He's done for us through Jesus Christ, which then should motivate us, should cause us to have a greater capacity to love those around us. Certainly to love the fellow believers that we are granted to do life together with and definitely those who Jesus died for outside of our family of believers. John 13, 35, Jesus said it plainly, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The defining characteristic of the church is love. And if this place, if this church, if this body of believers is not the most loving, caring, tender-hearted, welcoming, grace-filled, harmonious, as Pastor Duane preached last week, place in our city, something is wrong. And of course, we understand that Our definition of love and the world's definition of love is different, but that notwithstanding, willing, 
Sacrificial love is exemplified and prescribed to us by Jesus himself. And obviously, this one is hard. This one is hard for us. I have no doubt that some of you are probably bringing to mind the people that are hardest for you to love right now. They may even be sitting next to you. Okay, resist the urge to elbow them in the ribs right now because that's not loving, all right? But this one's hard. This is hard for us. The call is to love as Christ loved, a standard that is completely impossible for us to reach on our own, but is a necessary and natural result of a life lived with Christ at the center. A life lived with deepening faith. And so praying for those people that are hardest to love and for strength to love them is absolutely crucial if we're going to live this out in our lives. It should never be the case that we betray the message of the gospel which we have been tasked to proclaim by being an unloving people. So being empowered by the strength that God has and promises to us is necessary. Thirdly, true strength empowers better understanding. Verse 18, being rooted and grounded in love, Paul writes, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. I really, really had to focus to not say height there. It took first service a little bit longer to get that. I guess it must be because of the early in the morning thing, but... Breadth and length and height and depth. It's just natural. But height isn't a word in case you didn't know that. And this, this whole better understanding thing, this is an interesting one. Because, you know, Paul is, what Paul is talking about here is, and understanding the immediate context, would be to understand the vastness of the love of God for us. Now, scholars agree that there is no special significance to the four words that Paul uses there. Height breadth, length. I said it. Did you catch that? Oh, terrible. Breadth, length, height, and depth. No special significance, but it's just a reference for us to understand the incredible scope and completeness of the love of God for us. The same love that is seen in God's acceptance of people from all over the world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The same love that is seen in God's choosing of his own from the very beginning. The love of God that is seen in the blessings poured out in our lives daily undeserved. The love of God seen in plucking us out from the pits of hell, which is what we were destined to because of our sinfulness. Paul prays that strength would come to the believers to give us a better understanding of all that God has done for us, a pursuit that we will spend our entire lives doing, but will be fully realized when we see him face to face in eternity. Because you see, living our lives with a better understanding of the love of God for us keeps things in perspective and keeps us, us on mission. As we understand that Truthfully, we are not deserving of his love, but it is offered and given freely to us. And in the same way, we need to be agents of that love to those around us and share the understanding that we have of God with others while being empowered 
by the strength that God gives to us to do all of that. Finally, this true strength empowers growing righteousness. In verse 19, we see that true spiritual strength empowers a growing righteousness. And it's the last element in the portion of Paul's prayer is that his believers and us by extension would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Okay, essentially what he's saying here is that you would know the love of Jesus Christ that can't actually be fully known. The love of Christ for us is what sent him to the cross. The love of Jesus is what motivated him to suffer and die a death we deserved on our behalf and defeat the power of sin and death to give us the means by which that power, which once held us down, is defeated and in place a hope. A hope of eternity. A hope of forgiveness and grace and mercy. And Paul is praying that we would experience it, but not just experience it, but know it and believe it. And as we experience that love and the forgiveness that we have in him, in the hope that comes from his sacrifice, that leads us to the last part of verse 19, a filling with all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer culminates here in this final request of spiritual strength to empower a growing godliness. A fullness of God in our lives. And this This is the pursuit of the follower of Jesus Christ. And really, the three traits of true strength's empowerment that we've just talked about are encompassed really in this one. That we would be filled with faith, having Christ dwell in our hearts and trusting in him. That we would be passionate about loving God and others, bettering our knowledge and understanding of what God has done for us as we pursue growth in our own personal righteousness, which God gives us the strength to do. I could quote MacArthur again. He writes, God's supreme goal in bringing us to himself is to make us like himself by filling us with himself, with all that he is and has. God's desire for our lives is to make us like him, to be filled, completely consumed with the aspects of his nature that we see him reveal to us perfectly. His love, like we've talked about already. His patience, his grace, his love for justice, his kindness, his gentleness, his self-control. And to be completely consumed with God then translates in that our thoughts and our words and our actions pour out of an overflowing of him in our lives. And this comes through everything that we've just discussed, through understanding that Jesus Christ, that God out of his love for us, sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us, understanding that and experiencing that. But then it comes in a passion for God's word, for hearing the work that he does desire to do in us, for having the primary focus of our lives being living as he calls us to. Again, this is a pursuit that we can never fully realize here, but will be completely and perfectly accomplished in glory when we stand in the presence of our God forever. 
But spiritual strength empowers this chief pursuit of the Christian life to be growing in righteousness. To be filled with the fullness, the nature of God. So we need to see what true strength empowers and then these need to be what we pursue in our lives. So would God grant us the strength to have a deeper faith, a greater love, a better understanding of who he is and what he's done, of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us, and a growing righteousness. And then finally this. In my pursuit of spiritual strength, I should pray with the proper perspective, knowing who should get the glory. Take a look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Paul's concluding his prayer, wrapping things up with what's called a doxology, a a statement of praise and honor to God that would often in this time actually be sung. And he's bringing his readers and by extension us back to the perspective that we need to have when it comes to living out our lives today. Because the fact of the matter is, is we serve a God with limitless and incomprehensible power who by that power which is in us through his spirit and leads to a greater indwelling of Jesus Christ is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever imagine. The potential for God to move in and through us is limitless because the strength that we need to do what he wants to do in and through us is completely limited. And it completely explodes every little box we try to put him in so often. We've seen it all throughout history. Believers, the church in general, tapped into the spiritual strength of God is able to do incredible things. Things that man, by his limited strength and ability, could never do. So what is holding us back? What is holding you back? Truly, I wonder what God is going to do in this place, what God wants to do in this place. I wonder what God wants to do in this church, in our marriages, in our families, what God wants to do in our city. And what he would do if we just surrendered our pride, realized our weakness and need for spiritual strength and pursued that and prayed that instead of our own agenda. It's obvious. Paul says it here. Our minds cannot even begin to comprehend the things that God will do. The only way that we can truly maximize our effectiveness in what God calls us to do in the mission he has before us is when we surrender ourselves to him and to his strength that that empowers us to live our lives as he calls us to. Our physical selves and the strength that we have in us will one day fade away. And all that is left will be 
the spiritual, the truly eternal. So what are you prioritizing? We see here that the end game of all that God does is his glory. And if our lives are truly tapped into, if we are truly pursuing the spiritual strength that he offers us, that should be ours as well. Will we be a people that approach the Lord humbly, knowing who he is and who we're talking to? Will we be a people that approach the Lord with eager anticipation, knowing where the true strength that we so desire actually comes from? Will we be a people with the right motives, knowing what true strength empowers us to? To a deeper faith, a greater love, a better understanding, and a growing righteousness. And will we be a people who approach the Lord with this perspective in mind? Verse 21. To him be glory in the church, in this church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Well, we're going to conclude our time together this morning with a time of prayer focused on all that we've heard from God's word this morning. And I encourage you, as you consider all of these things, to take some time here and really ask yourself the question, in whose strength am I living? And then as you pray, use these points to frame up your prayers to the Lord. Father, I long to be filled with true strength that comes from you. Would you help me recognize my weakness and humility before you and reveal to me what I'm trying to do in my own strength? Would you grant me your strength to help me reach greater depths of faith, increase my capacity for love, grow my understanding of you, and continue my pursuit of righteousness? And would you create in me a greater passion for bringing you glory in all that I do? Go before the Lord and spend some time in prayer now. And in a few moments, our elder chair, Peter Millard, will come and conclude our time.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for these few quiet moments that we can focus our hearts and minds on you. And yet we recognize as we attempt to do that, there are competing voices in our heads vying for our attention. Anxious thoughts about our past, our present, our future. But Lord, we choose to lay those all aside right now, to humble ourselves and to focus exclusively on you. And Lord, we recognize even the ability to do that requires your strength, specifically your spiritual strength, filling us and empowering us to do these things. So Father, forgive us when we lean exclusively on our own strength, when we try to do things our way and not your way. We fail to heed the warning of the prophet Jeremiah when he said that our hearts are deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. We thank you for this reminder from Ephesians that your spiritual strength is available to all and it's found in a person in the Lord Jesus. That it's available by faith to all who have put their trust fully and completely in him. And so our prayer this morning is, Lord, do as you have promised and grant spiritual strength to your people so that we may be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ so that we may begin to comprehend what truly is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses understanding. And that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And finally, our Father, that we may have an increasing passion to bring glory to you in everything that we do and say. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.